Welcome everyone to my new podcast called What They Aren't Telling You. This is no shock to anyone who has followed me, but I want to talk about the conversations that aren't being had. What are the thoughts? What are the ideas? What are the conversations with these complex topics, the social issues, the political issues that we're dealing with right now that people aren't comfortable discussing? I'm comfortable discussing them. You've seen me on my social media. In the process, I'll tell you, I get a lot of people messaging me saying, I cannot post on my own social media. I'm afraid of being attacked for my opinion. And this opinion could be on vaccines. It could be on the coronavirus situation. It could be on race relations. People are afraid to speak out because it is so painful. It's painful to be attacked. It's painful to be attacked by your friends. It feels there's a level of bullying that happens online. And so I get people that message me. I totally agree with what you're saying. I'm so glad you're brave enough to speak out because I'm not. And thank you so much for what you post. Now, I personally, I don't feel brave for posting. I just, anybody that knows me, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut specifically on certain things. I, when I have a topic come up that interests me and when I see something complicated going on, then I become fascinated and I want to explore that topic more. So that's what I do. Um, if I see somebody else's topic I like, then I share it. And if it's something I think that's going to prompt good discussion, one of the, my favorite things about my posts is the comments. There are some great comments. If you, are, if you follow me on social media, uh, on Facebook, that's Melissa Floyd. If um, you're on Instagram, it's at Melissa Suzanne Music. If you follow me uh, on social media, you'll see that when I post something, there are so many intelligent and thoughtful responses from different people. And they could be on both sides of the, the issue. And there's back and forth. And I think that's where we learn. So I'm hoping that this podcast is an audio version of the types of discussions that we're having because I'm really enjoying the types of discussions I see on my page and I want to know more. So I'm going to be inviting people to join this conversation with me. And one of the first things I want to start with, considering everything that's going on in the climate with the George Floyd murder incident, I want to look into this and I want to go a little deeper. I want to interview some um, law enforcement officers. I want to see a little more into the mind, the emotions, um, the experience and history of different officers and see what they think about what's going on with police brutality in the country, what they think about police and as it relates to racial profiling or dealing with minorities and what they think about the anti-cop climate that we're living in, whether they think that's justified, whether they think there's room for improvement and have this discussion. I'm also going to be talking with members of, you know, the black community and uh, we're going to keep this discussion going in multiple ways. I've got lots of episodes and ideas for stuff completely unrelated to both of these two things, including motherhood, including coronavirus, and including vaccine injury, including um, some nurses that are going to be speaking out. And uh, there's so many things I want to cover. Most of these things are controversial in nature, or they are at least complicated, emotionally complicated. And that's where I find the interest. That's where I'm fascinated uh, as it relates to topics. So I was a sociology and communications major, as many of you may know at UCLA, and studying human behavior is fascinating to me. So 
I want to go deeper with this podcast. I want to encourage everybody to have an open mind. And I want to encourage people to not stay on the surface with their conversations. I'm a huge fan of asking the bigger questions. So today we are talking with our first anonymous officer. Uh, Welcome to what they aren't telling you. This is going to be our first series on law enforcement, and we are going to go deeper with this discussion about cop culture. We're going to talk about uh, the social view of police and law enforcement in this situation today. We're going to talk about race relations and kind of the the structure of the job and how that affects people. And there's so much to say. So I appreciate you for anonymously coming on and offering your experience. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Melissa. So I am not, for my listeners, I am not going to be referring to her during the show. Again, for the sake of anonymity, we are going to just keep names and locations out of it. But I want you to get the value of what she has to share. And we, her and I have discussed at length many of these things yesterday as we, as we talked about um, these topics. And um, I think you'll really like a lot of what she has to say. So I want to start at the beginning by first saying you um, are an active police officer correct yes actively working right now we have different people that are going to be on the show some are retired some are currently working some have had to leave because of PTSD and their experience with uh, working on the force and how difficult that was so we're going to kind of cover the gamut here and you're on the east coast you have a criminal justice degree and one of the things I found really interesting about your story was um, the fact that you said you put yourself through uh, the police academy with as a single mom with two children and you put yourself through this process to get to the point where you could come out of this with a job you're proud of making a difference making a difference in the community and I think that's so admirable especially for a single mother how difficult that really must have been and um, I'm sure that's something you were really proud of accomplishing it's heartbreaking as we go in further to sort of talk about what's going on right now and how that has changed a lot of how you view this career. And, um, and I want to go into that, but I just, I want to acknowledge, you know, good for you, good for you for, for having your mindset on this goal and moving forward in this way and doing it all by yourself, essentially in in the most difficult circumstances as a mother with two children, two young children, I know how difficult that must've been and how amazing for you to do something like that. So I just want to acknowledge some accomplishment there for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It definitely was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. (laughs) I believe that. I believe it. So, you know, the current event, the current events right now are difficult. There's a lot going on right now. And I think probably one of the biggest things that's a challenge is the fact that there are a lot of misconceptions, maybe about law enforcement, about the job, about the people doing the job, and about the people who are on the receiving end of encounters with um, with law enforcement. So what do you think, what would you say that people don't understand about law enforcement? What's the biggest thing you think that people are missing when it comes to this? You know, I think that there's a lot that they're missing. I, I think that people don't think that we're human, you know, we're human, we make mistakes. We're just like everybody else as soon as we take that uniform off. Um, you know, we have families and we live just like everybody else outside of our job. Um, and I, I think that people don't really understand that. I think that people sometimes see us as, 
you know, robots that, you know, can't make decisions, the right decisions. You know, we, we are human. We make mistakes. We are given these laws that we have to follow. And I think that people don't understand, you know, these laws that, that govern our responses to certain situations. You know, people don't understand our training, how we're trained, the rules that we have to follow um, to keep the public safe and to also keep ourselves safe um, and, you know, protect us, protect other people um, and make sure everybody goes home safe. So those kinds of things. So go in line with that kind of, you know, we've heard this discussion of the use of excessive force, use mm-hmm. of force, lethal force, deadly force. Um, I have other mm-hmm. law enforcement that have said the same thing to me that people don't understand how you're trained and what you're legally allowed to do and trained to do in certain circumstances. I had another um, police officer tell me that, the way that they the public views it, it's any force is too much force, the way that the public views it. And obviously, that's unrealistic. And right. within the training, within education, what's an example of something that you think as far as how you're trained, for example, how you're trained and how people don't, the public doesn't understand? What's an example of something in which you're trained a certain way, but the public wouldn't understand that that's what you're trained to do? I guess we could go off of kind of what's happening right now and, you know, these police-involved shootings. If we shoot someone, we it's it sounds bad, but if you are choosing to shoot someone, you're shooting to kill them. You know, you're not shooting to injure them. If I am going to fire my gun at someone, it's because my intent is to kill them. And, you know, that decision is based off of protecting myself, my coworkers, and the public. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is people don't understand that we can't just shoot someone in the leg. I hear that all the time. If we are shooting someone, our intent is to kill them. And that's because as a police officer, you're finding yourself in a position where you feel threatened. You feel that there's a chance that you are under threat. And according to policy and according to law, you're able to respond using deadly force when you're in that circumstance. Is that why? Correct. Yeah. I I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't. I have heard also the why can't they just shoot him in the leg? Um, scenario. And I, and I wondered, honestly, I did wonder the same thing. Yeah. Why is, is there a way to maybe not shoot in the torso or somewhere else? I've had every police officer tell me that's not what policy is. Do you think, do you think policy needs to change so that that's not what the intent is? Is there a way to somehow find a middle ground there? You know, I don't know because then you have to look at the safety aspect of it. What if I shoot someone in the leg And they still have a gun and they can turn around and shoot me or shoot someone in the public. You know, if you are making that choice and that decision to shoot someone, you're shooting to kill them. And that decision has to, you know, it has to be made. Unfortunately, it's made under quick, you know, quick judgment and the circumstances, everything's happening so fast. You know, most of these police involved shootings, that's how they are. They're, you know, they're quick decisions. But 
if you are making that decision, and I've said this already, but if you are making that decision to shoot someone, it's because you intend to kill them because you have to stop the threat. And it makes sense that if you're in multiple situations, let's say throughout a course of a regular work week, and you're in multiple situations, if you're used to coming across a suspect that does have a weapon, or perhaps Mm -hmm. does have a gun, and they are Uh, Like you said, if you shoot them in the leg, they can pull the weapon and potentially shoot you in a way that is to kill you. You know, not they're not trying to shoot you in the leg. Also, they would be just shooting you possibly to kill you. If if you're in a circumstance now with a suspect who doesn't have a weapon because you're working under muscle memory and because you've gone Mm -hmm. through this so many times and gone through the training so many times, I think probably it's unrealistic to assume that you're going to be able to discern in that split second that, oh, wait, this person doesn't have that, so I shouldn't shoot to kill in this instance because it's all happening so fast. I think perhaps there's a misunderstanding of um, the actual job and the way that the job is done, the way you're trained for. You're trained for reactivity. You know, you're supposed to react in this quick amount of time and everybody, you know, is a potential threat. Um, I think like you've said before, um, so how do you expect officers to be able to say, no, this time I just shoot this guy in the leg because I don't see a knife. I don't see a, a weapon on him. And it's all happening so fast. I mean, it's definitely something to consider. And when you when we talk about this idea of excessive force, okay, so in your experience, do you think excessive force is something with police officers that's a problem? Like overall, in general, whether these are stories that you've seen from other locations or from places that you've worked in law enforcement? I don't see it as a problem. I think the public sees it as a problem because like going back to what we were just talking about, they don't understand our training. They don't understand, you know, the laws that govern our actions to different circumstances. In which case to you, it's not really excessive force. Right. And and I guess that that probably comes down to the biggest um, difference now between law enforcement and the public. It's that we're looking at the same situation, but we're 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 looking at it with a different lens. And so if you understand what the legal term of excessive force is versus what you're witnessing with your eyes saying that was too much force, then you're going to have a difference of opinion in whether or not you think it was justified for that police officer to do it. Um, You you told me and if you don't mind going into this, you told me yourself, you have a personal situation where you yourself, you were sued for excessive force. And um, what was that process like? Uh, Were you surprised to be in a circumstance where somebody sued you for that thinking I follow the law, this is what I was was expected of me. And now I'm being, you know, attacked for it. And then and then what was the response You, you made a you made a statement that the, the you know body cam footage, the video ended up going viral and there was a public response to this. So for you, mm-hmm. were you surprised to be in that circumstance? And then what was the process going through that like? You know, it kind of took us off guard because we were just doing our job and, you know, we were like, we didn't do anything wrong. Um, obviously, getting into this job, you know that you can be sued. You know, you just know that that's a possibility So for me, there were a couple other guys that were involved in it. And I can say that it was probably one of the most stressful times in my life. And we went out there, we did our job, we did what we were supposed to do. And there's a video of it, it goes viral, you know, and then we have a a civil lawsuit against us 
for excessive force, failure to intervene. And, you know, the whole court process probably took a, a good year and a year and a half from the beginning of the filing. And we had to relive it that entire time. Um, we were put under a microscope the entire time. Every single action that we made that day was put under a microscope and just torn apart by not only our attorneys, but the other, you know, the other person's attorneys. And we were just made out to be these terrible people. They picked apart um, our integrity, you know, who we are as people when, you know, they didn't even know who we are, who we were as officers, who we were as people. So we went through that whole court process and, you know, we went through a couple week trial and we were put on the stand and there were witnesses that made us out to be these terrible, terrible people that just, you know, attacked this man for no reason. And, you know, we ended up winning that lawsuit. We weren't disciplined. We weren't charged. And we won that civil lawsuit. But that was a year and a half of constantly being put under a microscope and picked apart for doing our job. And outside of that, you said also that you had received death threats and um, the police station had been a subject of those types of things. What was that like? Oh, yeah. I mean, for weeks afterwards, our police department received phone calls, emails, everything that you could think of just blasting us saying how terrible of people we were. Um, Social media, you know, Facebook was the biggest thing. I I had to just not even be on Facebook anymore because I just couldn't take it. You know, mentally, I couldn't take it. Everything that I saw was, you know, these officers need to be shot in the head. If you see them, you need to shoot them, all of those kinds of things. So it was very, 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 very stressful. And it was actually heartbreaking, you know, having to go through that, having children of my own and the the guys that were involved with it, you know, they have families and who were like, if someone sees us, what are they going to do to us outside of work? Hmm. So yeah, that was, that was very, very interesting. And everyone, you know, just told us stay off of social media. Don't worry about it. I can't just not worry about it. I can't not think about it when people are saying that I did something wrong when I didn't. Well, and I think that that's kind of the bigger um, issue here is the one you're talking about a year and a half time, just staying off of social media is not an easy thing to do for that length of time when that's the way that people communicate with colleagues and with friends. And if you're in a situation where you know you haven't done anything wrong, but you're basically presumed guilty for that entire year and a half until you are, um, you know, not and you end up not being charged with anything, you end up being innocent of that particular crime. But nobody, like you said, nobody's really following up with you or following up with the case to see how it ends to be able to vindicate you within the community, within the city. And so you you have this guilt, you know, the black cloud of guilt basically following you for something that you actually didn't do and legally were proven not to have done that had to be not just mentally stressful, but emotionally stressful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when, once the trial was over and we won, you know, we were sued for millions of dollars and we won and there was no news coverage. There was 
nothing. It was just over. <laughs> and I can tell you that was probably one of the biggest weights off of my shoulders was knowing, you know, that's not going to follow me for the rest of my career. I'm not going to have a judgment against me for failure to intervene mm -hmm. in a situation that I know I didn't fail to intervene. And like I said, there was no, there was no media. There was nothing. There was no follow-up from the media about that. Even though when the incident happened, you know, there was news stations outside of our police department constant phone calls, emails, all that kind of stuff. And once we got to, you know, the litigation part of it and the civil lawsuit and we won, there was nothing. That leads <laughs> to this idea of accountability in journalism, because now as the media, you're planting the seed of fear. You're planting right. the seed of mistrust, right. mistrust for the community that you're serving. Because now they have to think that there are police officers in that area that are not behaving well as officers. Right. Yeah. So you have that issue. And then when they realize they got it wrong, they're not coming out to correct it, to fix it, to come to a situation where they write it by saying, you know what it looks like, this is within the legal definition. And maybe let's educate the public on what that legal definition is so we can understand when it is excessive force and when force is allowed and when it's necessary. And that was, you know, the, the civil lawsuit was the verdict was determined by a jury of our peers. So uh, this wasn't just a, a judge making that decision. It was 12 people who went through three weeks of trial, just like we did, and saw the same thing that we did. And so as a, as a mom, and like I said earlier, you put yourself through the police academy. You have two kids. You do this. You get to this place where you want to be proud of this job. And then you're in a circumstance where you are now being charged with something that you didn't do and you're being demonized by both the community, social media, and the media for something you didn't do. You're being made out to feel you're a certain way. As a mother with, child, with young children who got into this job to be proud of something, what did that feel like? It was awful. It really was. And, you know, I told you this yesterday, I... I really worked hard to get where I am today. I actually have three children now, but it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's really just heartbreaking for me to know that, you know, I worked so hard to get where I am, to do this job, to do it the way that I think it should be done. And to just, like you said, be demonized constantly and be put under a microscope constantly. And I knew that was part of the job, but at the same time, it's like, I am a mom. I have three children. Uh, when I went through the academy, I had two kids and, you know, I was a single mom and I did that. And it was one of the hardest things I have ever done. I put myself through it. I did all of those things. You know, I got my degree and I worked hard and I got here and now it's like, do I even want to be here now? Because is it worth it? Really? I think a lot of us are really struggling with that question right now. Is it worth it? And you had said to me yesterday, a, a quote, which I find really interesting. You had said, you know, we're not the monsters that they've made us out to be. And right. us as in police law enforcement, we're not the monsters that the media has made us out to be. What do you mean by that? 
I think that people don't understand that we're human. We bleed the same color blood as everyone else. Exactly what I said. We are just made out to be monsters when it's just not the truth. You know, there's a lot of good that we do that you don't see, that you don't hear about. You know, we save lives all the time. You know, I went up onto a freeway overpass and pulled a girl off of it, off of an overpass. Like I put my life in jeopardy all the time to help other people. You just don't hear about that kind of stuff. Why do you think, why do you think the media is doing it? What, what do you think the benefit is for this? I don't know. I really, I wish I could understand that because when someone is in a situation, you know, they're robbed or their family member dies or, and you know, any of those things, who do you call and who comes running? No questions asked. You know, before I save someone's life or I respond to a call, I don't say, oh, who is this person? Where do they come from? Who are they? Should I, should I save your life? You know, should I respond to this call? I don't. We don't do that. We respond to everyone's calls, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, and we do our job. Because there's this tension now between the community and law enforcement, what do you think is the best solution? The best solution to improve the relations between both the community and law enforcement so that we don't have, one, we don't have these types of incidences happening that maybe are racially motivated or based on racial profiling or are using excessive force, et cetera, so that we don't have these types of police brutality or excessive force uh, incidences happening. And two, that create a feeling of trust and community um, within those that the police officers serve. What do you think would be the best solutions? You know, I, I wish that I had the answer. I know that we could do a better job in our hiring processes you know, our background checks. Nobody wants to be a police officer anymore. So there's only a small number of people to choose from. These agencies have to kind of lower their normal standards for law enforcement officers because there's no one to choose from because nobody wants to do the job. And nobody wants to do the job because why? Because it's, it's not worth it. It's dangerous. You're made out to be someone that you're not because you have a uniform and a badge and a gun and you're constantly criticized. I said this earlier, you know, we're we're put under a microscope and it it feels like no matter what we do, it's not right. You know, by the media, by the public, it's not viewed as right. So who wants to live their life like that? risk their own lives mm-hmm. and their family, you know, their family's well-being and possibly their their family's lives for, you know, we, we don't make the, the greatest money. So it just becomes not worth it. And so kind of on that line, there are a lot of new talks now about defunding the police as a as a way to some people have said demilitarize them. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I know I didn't mention this ahead of time to you, but I'm kind of curious. What are your thoughts on, you know, will defunding the police be successful? Will that create more safety in communities? Um, and is demilitarization necessary? Do you think that that's a problem and that those types of protocols should be potentially looked at? 
I think the whole demilitarizing thing is is dangerous. You know, we need that. We need law and order. We need people to, you know, fear authority and want, you know, people have to follow these laws because what do we do when we have no police and we have no laws? It's just chaos. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, who protects families and communities and all of those kinds of things? Who's going to do that? When it comes to the defunding of the police, I cannot wrap my my mind around that. But I do agree that more funding needs to go into um, mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more funding needs to go into education um, and community relations. I do believe that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to defund us, I don't know what that what that does. And it's going to cause more officers to leave the job. And then you're stuck with, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a low number of officers or you lose the good officers that are just like, you know, I'm done. This isn't worth it. And I think that's probably something that people aren't thinking about is as you defund and decrease, like you said, the pool size to choose from, you're going to end up with a limited number of people and potentially not the best people suited for the job to be in situations where they can make these split second rational decisions um, without maybe using too much control, power, force that, you know, I mean, the reality is that some people are drawn to the law enforcement profession um, that are certain types. You see, you do see that. I mean, I I have seen that. If you know that that's happening, um, you know, and you have, again, less and less people that have good perspective on how to be in a position of power within the community without abusing that power, then we're going to be in even a worse situation than we were before. Absolutely. I mean, the good ones are looking to leave. And that scares me. (laughs) It scares me as, you know, a a civilian. And it scares Mm -hmm. me as a law enforcement officer, because what do you do when you don't have the police? I mean, (laughs) I don't even know if anybody's really thought that far. I think this idea of defunding has been a it's a theory. But I think that a lot of people don't think you know, several steps of ha- steps ahead, which is a problem because obviously before you make policy changes, you need to make sure you know what happens five to 10 steps ahead after that. You can't make decisions now and deal with the consequences later. That is not the way to create policies. That's not the way, that's not the way to be a good leader. Uh, we've seen a lot of mistakes made that way. And what I'm confused about is they want us to be better trained, de-escalation training, which my agency already does. We do all of that kind of stuff. But defunding the police is going to take away our training. So we're going to have less training because we're not going to have the funding for it. And I don't think that people understand how much it costs for training for an entire agency. And again, for training, this is let everybody know what kind of training you're talking about again. You know, de-escalation training and community relations training and you know, bias training, those kinds of things that costs money. And that, you know, that sounds like if if you want us to be better trained, but you also want to take away the funding that's going to train us. I'm, I'm really been fascinated in this idea that 
law enforcement officers, um, you know, essentially live in a state of fight or flight. Uh, They Mm -hmm. live in a state of needing to make split second decisions like we talked about. And in that process, it's a a certain part of the brain that responds that way. That is not the same part of the brain that has the logical discussion and the rational discussion after the fact about what could we have done better. And like you said, Monday morning, looking back at all the videos and being able to see here's where the situation went wrong. That's a different part of the brain than the, the brain that's involved in the moment, in the, the actual event where you are action oriented and it's got to happen right now and you have to basically go based on muscle memory. I think that there is, it feels to me like there is an in, internal struggle, an internal struggle between being the person you need to be in order to have the access to that kind of fight or flight and be able to respond in the fastest way possible to save lives, save lives in the community, save lives of officers, and ideally save lives of suspects so that they can go through due process. That element of the job is diametrically opposed to the humanity of the job and the human connection between you and the suspect and the community and people. The actual humanity during a time of crisis, during a time of um, criminal activity, you know, everybody wants to come back at the end and say, you should have looked at this person differently. You should have done things differently. It feels really difficult to me to sort of make sense of doing two things at the same time that are essentially on opposite sides, you know, of the thinking pattern and of the brain. And I'm fascinated by this. I want to know what you think. How do you find a balance between maintaining the human connection and not being caught off guard and losing those survival skills that that you're, you're trained for to help protect people? So you had mentioned in a situation where you pull over a car and as you're coming up to the car, somebody saying, please don't shoot me, you saying to them, okay, just do what I'm asking you to do. It's not going to go there. It's not, you know, that we don't want it to go there. And you're trying to calm the person. But at any moment, that person could technically pull a weapon and end your life. Right. How do you find the balance between trying to console the person and make sure that they're not too afraid of you, but also not letting your guard down to where you don't unfortunately become a victim of crime on the receiving end? It's hard, um, honestly. And going back to, uh, I think it was the first question that you asked me about what people don't understand about law enforcement is we're constantly on the defense. You know, we don't know what we're walking into. We don't know what is going through someone else's head and what their intentions are. We don't, we don't know that stuff. So we're constantly on the defense. You know, we're constantly throughout the entire day, our adrenaline's up and then we have an adrenaline dump. You know, it's all mm-hmm. day because every, every interaction, you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know, like I said, the intentions of the person that you're dealing with. So it, it's constantly being on guard and kind of trying to judge the situation by the person's actions. You know, are they, if I were to stop a car, are they, you know, kind of looking around? Are they looking in their center console? 
you know, are they, are they giving me signs that, you know, something isn't right here. And I think we all kind of have that, that spidey sense that Mm -hmm. we can kind of, you know, we kind of get it like, you know, the hair on the arm on your arm stand up because you know, just something isn't right. Mm -hmm. I think once you do the job long enough, you can, you can read people. So you can kind of determine those kinds of things and get a sense of, you know, what's going on, what could possibly happen. So it's those kinds of things. I, you know, I try to, I was raised to treat others the way that I want to be treated. Mm -hmm. So I treat people with respect and dignity and I treat them just like they're anybody else, no matter who they are, what color skin they have. You know, I treat everyone with the respect and dignity that they deserve as human beings. But we also, like you said, we have to constantly be aware of our surroundings and be on guard and be ready for any situation that we might deal with. And I think that, um, you know, that back and forth, that that struggle internally of being in those high stress situations over and over and over again, it really takes a toll on the mental health of many people in law enforcement. I mean, this is again, a high stress job. You're constantly running on cortisol. You are in dangerous situations all the time. There's a reason that people from the military come back with PTSD. To me, a lot of people in law enforcement are on a slightly lesser level, but the similar idea, they're going through the same things. And I don't think there is enough attention and support given to mental health um, of officers so that they can be guided and they can be nurtured in that sense to make them as well balanced as possible so that they can be these whole human beings that go out into the world and aren't responding in a way that is they're ready to snap or they haven't gotten sleep for several days in a row and they're still on the job and you know like you said you guys are human you're human too and not to excuse not to excuse anytime somebody is doing something unjustly uh, of course consequences exist regardless, regardless. But in order to really prevent this from happening again, in order to prevent these types of situations from happening again, the ones that the public is up in arms about, the use of excessive force, um, you know, profiling somebody or, you know, unjustly using police force brutality on a citizen. In order to stop those things from happening, I think that there's no real solution in protesting. There's no real solution in protesting, in my opinion. Right. I think I in the end, there, there either needs to be policy changes, there needs to be um, additional programs that are set up. And, and like you said, how is this going to happen when the funding is decreased, not increased? Because right. there needs to be a focus on mental health. And I want, I really would like to see people understand the challenges of the job. This is a job most people don't want to do and most people couldn't do or wouldn't want to yes. do. I say that all the time and, you know, people just don't understand it. And if they were in our shoes for even a day, I think that they would change their minds. Um, I say that all the time, you know, if I try and get people to look at things from our perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, what would you do in this situation? If someone points a gun at you, are 
you're going to, are you going to let them shoot you or are you going to shoot them? Cause I want to go home. Right. Because you have children too. And you're a mother right. too. And you have a family too. Right. And, and as, and as a woman, I know you had mentioned you were the first female hired in 10 years, I believe is what you said, where you worked. Yes. You know, that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize is as a female cop, it's even harder to not need to defend yourself, you know, in, in a situation with a criminal who's bigger than you, stronger than you, coming at you, maybe has a weapon. There are a lot of aspects here and we have to keep everybody safe. And for women that go into law enforcement and are putting themselves on the defense, that way there has to be a way that they can protect themselves. It has to be justified to be able to protect themselves um, so that their lives can be saved as well. And it's all about finding that balance. And it's all about, again, connecting the humanity with the job requirement, which is almost putting up a wall in order to be able to do the job. There has to be yeah. a wall up to be able to do the job every day. I can't imagine going through this type of situation every single day, day in, day out. It's going to take a toll on you. There has right. to be a way to decompress. There has to be a way to, to, um, to leave your job at home. And unfortunately, this is one of those kinds of jobs that is just really difficult, really difficult. And so this, this is my whole point of you carry that burden with you every single day. What's going to happen on that fourth call of one particular day when maybe you haven't slept in three days? And, you know, this is the reality, whether people think that that's not an excuse or not. It's the reality. Not everybody's going to be operating on all cylinders all the time to be able to handle everything with the perfect outcome. And there's so much there's trauma. I've had officers tell me there's trauma. Sometimes you see a suspect who reminds you who even looks like somebody who might have killed their partner, looks like somebody who committed a crime that stuck with them that they were not able to let go. It's like stuff like that. We're talking about regular people who are traumatized by their job on some level and having to work through that every single day in these split second decisions and having to make the perfect choice all the time. And if not, you're held to, um, you know, this basically unrealistic standard um, that I, I just, again, not to excuse any bad behavior, but that's not the point. The point is how do we prevent this from happening again? Maybe a little more care needs to be taken to those in law enforcement so that we can really support them so that they can support the community and they can support us. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. You know, most of us have the, t the type A personality where, you know, we're Mr. Tough Guy or, you know, Mrs. Tough Girl and, you know, we show no emotion and we just hold everything inside and, you know, we can't let anyone see us at a weak time. That's just how we are. And then you add the job to it and that intensifies it even more. You know, you have the pressure from your coworkers of, you know, just kind of suck it up. Well, once you, you suck it up so many times, <laughs> eventually, you know, things are going to blow, you know, mentally. Keeping all of that inside, not talking to anybody about it, not dealing with, you know, any of the frustrations with the job or talking about certain situations where, you know, you, you respond to a call of a baby dying. We're just expected to suck it up mm -hmm. and deal with the emotions from that, not talk about it, not deal with it. I mean, that's that's traumatic for anybody, for anybody. And that's stuff that we deal with all the time. You know, we see 
dead people all the time. We see dead children. Mm-hmm. We see dead babies. We see all of those things. And I think that people, again, not really understanding what we do, what we do on a daily basis. And obviously there probably are, and we know there are some bad cops out there, just like there are bad accountants and bad serial killers and bad politicians. And in any different group, you're going to find people who go off and go too far and have bad intentions. Absolutely. But it doesn't seem fair to generalize. And I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, as far as as a society coming to a good place, a good balance between how do we support people who have been unjust victims of police brutality? How do we support those who have been on the receiving end of the bad cops? How do we support those who deal with, um, you know, cops that take their power too far? How do we deal with all of that? And also understand that that is almost not any other cop that's out there. You know, you just got the majority of cops are trying to do a good job. They want to be proud of their job. And they're also enduring mental and emotional trauma on a regular basis, including, you know, the way that schedules change all the time and getting no sleep and working graveyards. And then now you're on day shifts. It's like these types of things take a physical toll too. So there's a lot that goes into this. I just would really like to see this conversation continue to open and go a little deeper so that we can understand and have a little more tolerance and we can find a solution, but find a solution that's effective without hurting everybody else that's really there trying to do a good job. Yeah. I mean, I think that this divide that we're seeing even more um, right now, it, it doesn't help. You know, I think the only way that we're going to make things better is to come together as a community, not as police officers and, you know, minorities. We need to come together as humans and work together to, you know, work these kinds of things out because police brutality does exist. I will not deny that. I, you know, I have seen it. Everybody's seen it. There's no denying that that happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it's true. It's a fact. It does happen. And everybody knows that, but we have to come together because I can tell you that the law enforcement community, we, if we see an officer doing something that they shouldn't be doing, we are the first ones to call them out and tell them that they're wrong. If we see brutality or we see any of any of that, we are not going to stand behind them just because, you know, they're our brother or sister in blue. I'm going to call you out for doing something wrong. And we, the law enforcement community does that. And I don't think people acknowledge that either. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this series with, with law enforcement officers is a chance for people to maybe learn a little more. I know I've been learning a lot in the process and just, just talking, um, with different police officers and understanding your, you know, innermost thoughts on this, your worries, your fears, your concerns. I think if more people did that, that they could have a different understanding on this. And that's what I'm hoping for. Um, I so appreciate your time, anonymous officer, (laughs) 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 whose name I can't use. I so appreciate your time in giving me um, both yesterday when we spoke and, and today to help people get a little glimpse of what your life is like and, and what you have to share. And I hope that people were able to kind of see a little bit more insight into what it might be like, especially even as a female for other mothers out there that are 
that are listening, um, it's so important that we, we learn as much as we can before we jump to places of judgment. And so I'm hoping that your words will resonate with many out there. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to share them with us. Thank you. I appreciate you having the conversation that, that needs to be had. I'm happy to do it. I look forward to uh, continuing this conversation with other law enforcement officers and continuing to get perspective as we, you know, go through what's happening right now, which is this, this climate, um, is social issues, political issues, and this is all tied in. So we will, um, I'll be back with another episode um, of What They Aren't Telling You. Uh, so we can continue getting the side of the story that you won't see on regular news that you might not see even posted on social media. This is always an unpopular opinion, but that's the one that fascinates me the most. So thank you all for listening and I'll see you next time.